Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Action Replay on DCUFM, twitch.tv slash DCUFM to listen to us live, DCUFM Sport on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, joining us today, we got George Mass to talk about uh, to talk about the soccer. George, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, not too bad at all. Uh, but we're going to start with the rugby today. Um, a busy weekend of Six Nations, and for that, we'll bring in Colm Motherway. Colm, how are you doing? Hi, how's it going? I'm well. Uh, and obviously, we start with Ireland. Well, in fact, let's start with Ireland and Wales, because they had two very similar matches so far in the tournament because for Wales on both occasions they've just just managed to squeak out a win and probably benefited with the fact that their opponents were reduced to 14 men with a sending off and then in Ireland's case it just it, it, it was close it was really really close against France honestly it was closer than I thought it was going to be but in the end it, it wasn't enough but I think People will look back on this. Maybe the history books will look unkindly on this Six Nations because it's the first Six Nations that Ireland have ever had where they've started with two losses. But I think context is key. We started um, against Wales and we spent the majority of that game with 14 players. And uh, we were a stone's throw away from getting something out of that game. And then France, uh, it was it was a, it was a very depleted lineup. The first time... In a very long time that we've gone into a key game without both Johnny Sexton and Connor Murray. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on kind of the game as a whole and were Ireland as unlucky as I'm making out? Yeah, like I think Ireland uh, have been hard done by so far with the, the red card against Wales really costing the game and then the injuries to Murray and Sexton with O'Mahony's suspension made it very hard against France like they def- we definitely didn't have a full strength lineup against France which in a, in a game like that I feel like we would have won if we had them players but um yeah there's still the performances weren't really there like the against France there was a lot um I was confused why Billy Burns actually started over Ross Byrne because when Ross Byrne came on obviously he got his kicks perfect nearly and then Billy Burns, uh, well, it wasn't the same. Like his mistake against Wales, obviously, that's just unfortunate. But um, you'd feel Ross Byrne be a better player for that, uh, for these type of games against France and Wales. And in Wales' case, I think that they got um, they wouldn't have won either of the matches. I think without the red cards, I think Scotland were hard done by with the red card. I didn't think it, I thought it might have just been a yellow. To be honest. But um, yeah, I thought Scotland were a better game, with a better team in that game as well. But Wales won both of them, so there they are. Yeah, Scotland were actually quite interesting because you know going into any Six Nations, you kind of uh, you you write off automatically Italy and Scotland because they are perennially the whipping boys of of the of the. The championship, but Scotland started off obviously brilliantly last weekend with that win over England, obviously massively historically significant for them. But then they were within a stone's throw against Wales as well, and it just left me thinking: is is this um, 
is this a coming time for Scotland? Because they haven't been, they've they've never been contenders as far as I remember. And they, they, they're not going to be contenders now because I do think France will have too much for them whenever they, um, whenever they play them. But I do think that are Scotland's going to be something to reckon with for, um, for championships to come? Yeah, I think Scot- well, Scotland definitely are improving in the last couple of years. And Stuart Hogg is becoming one of the, he's been one of the best players of the tournament so far, I think. He's really driving that Scot- Scottish team. And um, I don't think they will do it this year, but I'm actually looking forward to the Ireland Scotland game because I think that'll be an entertaining match. I don't think it, like either the sides are going to win it this year after the start. So. I feel like that'll just be an entertaining game, but I think it is between England, Wales, and France this year for who's going to go for it. Yeah, that's actually just yeah. what I was going to ask you because we're coming to the uh, the first weekend off, um, so we'll, we're kind of able to take a breath, gather ourselves, and the teams can do the same. And taking a look at the table here, uh, France and Wales are... Um, the two teams that look to be in control, two games, two wins for both of them. France have looked, they looked very good against Italy, but that's not difficult. England did too this past weekend. Um, But France are kind of in the pole position. And I feel as though uh, France and England is the game because I don't see Wales um, being a sustained threat, but that's not, that game's not coming, I think, till week four. Um, so can England make a surge now because they, they were, they would have been very, very disappointed, obviously with the, with the loss of Scotland. And then they kind of took their frustrations out on Italy, but, um, can England make a comeback? Yeah, I I think they do. All, All England, I think have to do is beat France in that game. Cause I feel like. England and France are both going to beat Wales when they play them. And um, then it would be between that match to see who wins it between France and England. Because I'd say, yeah, I'd say the winner of that match will win the Six Nations. I don't think Wales will be able to keep up with them. So we'll continue to uh, keep our eye on the Six Nations. We'll be looking ahead to some of those games uh, next week on the show. But uh, we'll move on to soccer and um, we will have Colin to talk about that as well. But we'll bring in George as well. Uh, over the past weekend, I, I, was, I was watching uh, some video on YouTube. I can't re- even remember what it was. But what I do remember was this ad for Now TV. And they were plugging their uh, Premier League coverage and they were saying, Oh, it's all to play for in the Premier League. And, you know, I, I audibly laughed because it's not all to play for. It is very much the Manchester City show now. Um, pretty comfortable win over Spurs uh, at the weekend. They have their game in hand against Everton on Wednesday while the rest of Europe is focusing on the Champions League, which we'll get into as well. But if City win that game in hand, George, uh, which is away to Everton, and why shouldn't they? They're on a on a ridiculous winning run. I think it's 16 at the moment. They'll be 10 points clear at the top. And 
is the title race for all intents and purposes over? Uh, yeah, I'd have to say so. I mean, when they made that ad now TV, I'd say it was a lot closer than how it is now. But when you look at the teams below them, maybe Man United and Leicester, they seem just happy to be there in the top four and fight for their Champions League spot. While Man City seem like the only team really now who are pushing on and are willing to take the mantle of, yeah, we want to be champions. While the rest are just fighting for their top four spot and hoping maybe to get that Champions League football and get the money in. You know, you can see that with maybe West Ham as well, who are pushing for top four, even when everyone wrote them off at the start of the season. So it's a, it's a really crazy season when you think about it. But it, it just seems that after the poor start, Man City really just taking it by the reins and pulling away here. Yeah, I remember seeing um, very conflicting uh, messages from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer column. It was, at one time he said, we're not title contenders. But on the other hand, he was saying, we won't settle for second. So uh, what do you think United's mindset are? Do you think they are just happy to be in the top four? Yeah, I think United's focus now is going to be finishing in the top four. Because, uh, yeah, I think City are running away with it. It'll be between United, Liverpool, Leicester and Chelsea, I'd say, for the top four spots with Everton and West Ham just kind of lingering behind. But um, United, I'd say, once they didn't sign a centre-back in January, they were never going to push for the title. I feel they, they needed to make that improvement at the back if they were actually going to be seriously challenging Man City for the title. And it seems like they're just setting up for top four this season and go again next year after signings in the summer we'll we'll, t- we'll talk about that top four now because uh the first major kind of plot twist in the top four uh race that uh happened this weekend was in the very first game between leicester and liverpool and no goals for a while but then it felt like once liverpool scored that kind of triggered their downfall they were perhaps a touch unfortunate with the equaliser with the VAR decision. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you about that, George. But then it was just a calamity of errors for the second goal. And I, I, I don't really know what what's going on now. That's two weeks in a row where Alisson's just made a horrendous error. And... I used to think that their defensive woes were just because they didn't have Virgil van Dijk around, but now it's starting to look like something else. Uh, I, I don't think I can agree with that here. I think Virgil van Dijk is really the the one big miss. I think Alisson has confidence in Virgil van Dijk, while with these two new, I think it's 17 new centre-back partnerships they've had this season. And with the, what is he, Ozan Kabak, I believe his name is. He's a young lad just arrived from Schalke, his first game in. And I don't think Alisson really trusted him at the start of the game. And you could see that with the mistake, obviously. But before that, obviously, we had the VAR decision. Now, I'm, I've gone a bit numb to VAR being an Arsenal fan, but uh, I just think it was... it was. I don't know how they called it as, as offside. You know, it was it was clear he was in front of the defender and he was, uh, he was in front and the ball came through him and into the bottom corner. And I think Liverpool have the right to be angry at that because it cost them three points really here it really swung the game in Leicester's favor I think uh you mentioned you're an Arsenal fan I'll, I'll go to that right now because we were talking on the show last week about how Arsenal Leeds was a really really big game and I described it as the past in Arsenal going against the future in less in Leeds 
And um, well, Arsenal put me in my place. I know it finished 4-2, but that game was pretty much over as a contest uh, a little way into the second half. Um, is this a sign of things to come for Arsenal? Because uh, to be honest, I've kind of stopped buying into them uh, really getting too far this season. I think there's been a couple too many false dawns, but it, it was a good result. Uh, yeah, it was a good result, but I don't think you can really judge the season off that one result. Leeds are very weak uh, defensively when it comes to playing against teams above them in the table. and Well, actually, Arsenal below them, actually, now. But uh, when you think about it, the three in behind Aubameyang really su- suited Arsenal with uh, Odegaard, uh, Saka and e- Emil Smith-Rowe. And you really saw the creativity that uh, Arsenal have been lacking for the first 20 or so games of the season. And I think it's a, it is a way to push on, but... As you know, with Arsenal, one good game really can just turn into a catastrophe very quickly. Uh, returning to the top four conversation, uh, Colin, United, again, didn't do themselves any favours. They're now level on points with Leicester, and they would be um, actually below Leicester now had they not given their goal difference a massive help with that 9-0 win over Southampton. But it, it has got to the point where you're looking at them drawing against teams in the relegation zone you're thinking eh, not surprising because they have been that sort of that sort of Jekyll and Hyde team we've said it a few times on the show now that they can be great one week and then just abjectly mediocre the next and it was whatever way you slice it from a United perspective I think it has to be seen as disappointing yeah, it definitely is this point. And I mean, United's inconsistency is why they can't go for the title. Like, I think in their last five games, their only win was the 9-0 against Southampton. And then the rest is like one-all draws against West West Brom and the three-all draw against Everton with the, the, the poor defending at the last kick of the game to give them a free chance inside the six-yard box. And then against West Brom, for the first goal, it was terrible defending by Lindelof. They had no United didn't get going until the second half, at least like an hour away into the game. They need to get that. They're too. If Bruno Fernandez doesn't kick kick United off in the first half, then they're not going to play until he's gotten going, which I think is the problem. They need more players like Bruno who can get the team going. Just looking at the relegation zone now, and I'll be honest with you, I had written off um, the three teams that are currently in the relegation zone as kind of certainties to go down because they were the only three teams that haven't cracked 20 points. And I kind of feel the same way that I did before about Sheffield and West Brom because they're only on 11 and 13. Fulham could be a different story. They had a really good win away to Everton. Uh, They won 2-0. And... They have a game in hand on the teams above them that I would argue are in a relegation scrap. They are five. They are a few behind Newcastle of 25, uh, Burnley of 26, Brighton of 26. So that one of 29, which looks um, looks promising, but then they've, they've dropped about... How many dropped matches in a row have they dropped now? They've lost, I think, their last six. So uh, I'll come to both of you. I'll start with George and then Colm. Do you think that um, there's there's hope for Fulham now, given the the performance they had last weekend and the fact that they're they're kind of suffering 
the, the teams around them rather are kind of suffering? Uh, yeah, I really think Fulham have a real chance of staying up this year. I think it's because really they found their shooting boots eventually. It only took them 20 games. But their defence has usually been solid enough maybe. Obviously against the big teams they've conceded a lot more goals. But when you're conceding uh, two a game, you might have a chance of surviving uh, down here at the bottom. But it's the fact they couldn't put any goals in the net. They were always scoring one goal and two goals, and they couldn't turn those draws into wins. But now they're starting to really pick up uh, their goal-scoring form. And I think uh, Maja, the man in uh, against Everton who scored the two goals, he showed that poacher's instinct that they actually need. Because Mitrovic, he hasn't really been firing the season. He's not much of a poacher. He gets in on the headers, but he really lacks the movement to get into those uh, six-yard box chances. While Madger really showed that against Everton. And I think, uh, obviously, with the weekend Everton team, they were playing Spurs in uh, the FA Cup, so they've drained them a lot after the two hours. But I think it was a really good win. They showed the energy they need to actually get out of this uh, relegation scrap. And I think Burnley and Newcastle are really in danger here, uh, lacking the goals that they have as well. So it could be a tie one. It's a lot more entertaining than the title race now, I'd say, because with all those teams so close on points, it, it really could go anywhere. Colm, your thoughts? Yeah, I th- well, I think uh, I think Fulham are the only team in the bottom three that are going to have a chance of staying up at the moment. I think West Brom and Sheffield are done, which is it's strange because all three of them seem to be taking points off the big teams. I mean, West Brom have drawn to United, Liverpool, Chelsea and City, I think. And Fulham, did they beat Liverpool or drew to them? And then um, obviously beat Everton at the weekend. And Sheffield beat United as well. But oh yeah, I think it's lost cause for Sheffield and West Brom at the moment. But the way Fulham are improving each game and Newcastle are getting worse, it seems, each game, they, they could have a chance of catching up with them, to be honest. I think Newcastle aren't playing well at all. I don't know what's going to be the problem there, but they need to improve or else Fulham might just take over them. Um, do you mind if I jump back in again? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was on, on the Newcastle topic, uh, I think Wilson's injured now for the foreseeable future of maybe two months or so, and that's a huge blow for Newcastle. Uh, Sam Maximan, I believe, c- can come back. But when you look at Wilson's goal-scoring form, they're really going to miss him, and I think that's what could really cause Fulham to leapfrog him in the table and send him down. It's getting much more interesting there for sure than I, to be honest, I ever thought it could be. But um, we're going to look now at the Champions League. It's back after a very, very long absence. And the story was that um, some countries aren't letting their, um, their teams, Champions League opponents, into the country. So they've had to find other places to play. And that is why tonight's game between Leipzig and uh, Liverpool will be in uh, Budapest, I think, as opposed to anywhere in Germany. Now, Leipzig, it it, it really disappoints me that this could have been Liverpool versus United if Leipzig hadn't knocked United out. Because I can't actually remember a really good United-Liverpool-European match we've We've seen so many domestic classics over the years, but they've never really faced each other in the Champions League. But nonetheless, Leipzig-Liverpool is the game we have. And Liverpool, 
obviously there are an interesting case and in that they're really badly struggling at the moment in the league at, when you look at the standards that they have. Whereas Leipzig are, they're continuing their forward progress. They're only five points off Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. And I don't know if Liverpool are going to have that fear factor. Leipzig now certainly aren't afraid of anyone. Obviously, they knocked the United out this season. And last season, they got very close to a final. But this is a much more competitive match on paper than it probably would have been last year, maybe even a couple of years ago, Colm. Yeah, I feel like this is going to be a really interesting match tonight with Leipzig doing well in the Bundesliga and Liverpool's bad form now just creeping in. And I think Liverpool, there'd be more pressure on Liverpool to win this game than on Leipzig. Liverpool have more to lose, I feel, because if if Leipzig knock Liverpool out, that's the second year in a row, isn't it? Liverpool out in the round of 16. And they're already out of the FA Cup and out of the title race. So they're going for, they're looking for, they're looking at a season with no silverware, really. And Leipzig, they don't have much to lose. I mean, they're they're a team that just kind of, they're never going to progress further than Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga, I think. Because, well, like, they look at Oop Meccano, they just sell players to Bayern Munich to help them. But, yeah, Leipzig, I feel, don't have anything really to lose tonight. They're just going to play their football and enjoy while Liverpool have a lot of pressure on them. Yeah, I think this is the chance for uh, Leipzig because um, the only re- real way I see them having a go at Anfield is if they can go there with something in their back pocket, maybe um, a lead or at the very least a draw. Or if they if they make it competitive, I think that that'll give them a massive boost of confidence going into the away leg. But the other game tonight is Barcelona versus PSG. And to be honest, I'm more excited for this one than the Liverpool one, which is actually saying something because the Liverpool game is so fascinating. And the reason is I really don't know what to expect because Maurizio Pochettino is now the manager of PSG after Thomas Tuchel was sacked and uh, subsequently went on to Chelsea. And you can't really judge a PSG manager based on what he does domestically because it's just so easy for them there. It's all about what they do in the Champions League and that's very much been the the theme with PSG for a long time, ever since the, the owners took over. And they're going against Barcelona, which would be intimidating if it were three, four or five years ago. But I think we're looking at probably the most vulnerable that Barcelona have ever been because that 8-2 loss to Bayern Munich just eviscerated whatever was left of their mythos. And it's hard to take forward steps in Europe after you've been to a Champions League final. But I think PSG have the opportunity to take a really big forward step tonight, George, and really solidify Pochettino as yeah I can manage at this world-class level uh, yeah it's going to be a huge night for them I, I think they're missing Neymar though for Neymar and Di Maria so it's really the onus is really on Mbappe for that game against Barcelona it's a real stepping stone for Mbappe as well playing against Messi he can really prove to the world how good he actually is but on the Barcelona topic 
yeah, the consistency is really what they need. I know they've had a good cup run, but they've just lost to Sevilla as well in that cup. So that was their main source of silverware for the uh, for the year. The league seems to be gone. Atletico Madrid running away with it. And Barcelona, really, the Champions League is their hope. If they can maybe make a pass PSG, they might hopefully get an easy draw in the next round. But it's going to be tough. Uh, PSG, though, on the other hand, lack, really lack the consistency. They're, they're only third in the French League this year. That bad loss to Lorient on the weekend. I believe it was a couple of weeks ago, actually, now. But 3-2, two, two late goals conceded. And it's the defence for PSG that really worries me. Uh, Marquinhos missing as well, maybe even more important than uh, Neymar and Di Maria. I know Neymar is a superstar, but Marquinhos is a real leader in that team. And w- without him, they could struggle uh, against the Messi and Griezmann up front. Who Griezmann has just come back into form and it's it's looking good for Barcelona now. Although it's, it's almost too tight to call, to be honest. I think it, c- it really could go either way. It depends on how the first leg goes. If the first leg goes... In PSG's favour, I, I could see them going through past Barcelona. Moving on to the next day, um, and two teams who are traditionally powerhouses in their domestic leagues, but are kind of suffering crises at the moment. Um, Porto and Juventus. Porto are 10 points off the top of the Portuguese league. They're trailing Sporting Lisbon. And Juventus, you know, I don't think it's as bad for them Oh, wait, actually, I'll just check the Serie A table. It is that bad for them. They're eight points off the top and they're in fourth. And um, with two teams that are kind of as wobbly, you kind of have to look to uh, individuals. And what other individual could you want than Cristiano Ronaldo in a situation like this? So uh, I don't know about you, Colin, but I, I like Juventus' chances in this fixture. Yeah, well, Juventus are definitely the favourites going into this game. And I think I think they will go through. Maybe not with ease, but I think they'll push aside Porto. I don't know if they'll go on to win the thing. Definitely Ronaldo is the biggest factor if Juventus are going to win the Champions League this year. But um, yeah, I think they, they will beat Porto. They haven't been at it in the league, unlike AC Milan and Inter Milan, who are running away with it. But um, yeah, I think Juventus will brush off Porto pretty easily. And then the other game tomorrow is Sevilla against Borussia Dortmund. Neither of them are doing particularly well in their league either, although, um, as previously mentioned, Sevilla are coming off a pretty big win over Barcelona. And this this seems tighter because I don't think that either team are, are doing particularly well. You can see it in the league. But... Um, I do think that similar to the the Porter Juventus game, this is something that will be determined by individuals and a, a striker like Erling Haaland's George Borussia Dortmund should prize him for as long as they have him because I think it's inevitable that he's going to move on because that's been the theme with Dortmund for such a long time now. They they their top players do move on to bigger and better things. Even their managers look where Klopp's at at the moment. So. There's a lot of there'll be a lot of pressure on him, and he's such a young lad to be to be carrying this team. But uh, against a Sevilla, I think he's up to the task. Yeah, carrying the team is the perfect word to sum it up, because he's he seems to be the only one playing for the team at the moment. Dortmund are on a wretched run in the Bundesliga, 
they're constantly drawing and losing to these relegation and mid-table teams. And they're, I think they currently lie sixth, which is a horrible position for Dortmund, struggling for Europa League football. Uh, Erling Haaland, obviously, he could pull out a magic in this leg. He could score a hat-trick in both games. We know how good he is. But on the other hand, Sevilla seem to be finding a bit of consistency now. I believe it's six wins or seven on the row, in a row. And they're slowly, slowly making their way back up the league. The last loss was to Atletico Madrid in uh, the 12th of January. Other than that, it's been straight wins up until now. So Sevilla, they're a decent European side. We saw them in the Europa League last season. Uh, cruised past Inter Milan in the final, even though everyone expected Inter Milan to win that Europa League. But now it's really a chance for them to prove as well. Are they up to the Champions League and can they beat Dortmund, who are really not at their best at the moment? Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. And we've got the two um, other English teams, Chelsea and City, are playing in the Champions League next week. And we'll preview their games on next week's show as well, well as reviewing the games we just talked about. But uh, the last thing I want to talk about um, is related to the GAA, and I'll get both your perspectives on this. There, there have been the, the the new guidelines are that uh, there have ah lost myself there. Sorry, I'll start again. The new guidelines have pretty strict regulations as it relates to elite level sport, and that does include inter county training and matches. So there's a um, there's a chance that the the championship, which they initially wanted to wrap up with all Ireland finals in July, which I think is is pretty interesting. They might get pushed back again, and I just wanted to get your, both of your thoughts on it. Start with uh, Colin and come to you, George. Do you think that's the right thing to do? Uh, yeah, it might be the. It might be better off putting them off until for a longer stage. Until once people get vaccinated, then they might have a chance of letting crowds in for the All Ireland finals and stuff, which would obviously make the championship better. Like last. The the didn't so the end of last championship didn't feel the same in the All Ireland final with no crowd. It didn't have the same kind of intensity to it. So yeah, I think it might be a better idea to try and put it off and then see what happens in the next while. George, uh, yeah, I, I agree with the the crowds. I think GA without the crowds, it's it's not the same. Uh, when you're at the All Ireland final, I, when you're watching it on telly, I've never been. You can see the crowds, everyone gathering around Croke Park, and it's, it's almost a, a celebration, not really just for the match, but for the entire day. If your team wins, obviously, it's even better, usually Dublin. But uh, it's it's really it's a whole occasion for the whole country, really. So I think uh, delaying them until the le- there's less cases is really the best move here. So I was going to wrap it up there, but then I took a sneak peek at next week's Premier League fixtures, and we've only got a Merseyside derby coming, so of course we've got to talk about that. <laughs> Liverpool-Everton is as compelling as it's going to be because Everton have been exceeding expectations, I would say, this season. They've had their wobbly patches, but they've been mostly solid under Carlo Ancelotti, and Liverpool have been... As as mentioned, poor. This game will have even more fire under it because not only are they very evenly matched competitively, it's the first Merseyside derby since the last one where Virgil van Dijk got taken out by 
Jordan Pickford. So it's going to be something special. And if Liverpool don't do themselves justice against Leipzig, they, they'll be coming into that game with an even bigger point to prove. And we see all these hype packages from Sky Sports whenever these big games are coming up. I remember laughing at the one about United versus Arsenal uh, because that game just isn't what it used to be. And it, I, that was the case with Liverpool-Everton. But in this case, Colm, I think the hype is absolutely justified. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good game. I think this is a it'll be a better game than the reverse fixture, which probably was the game that ended Liverpool's title charge really injuring Van Dijk. But um, yeah, Everton are definitely in better. Well, apart from the Fulham game, they're definitely in. They've got what are they three points behind Liverpool with two games in hand on them or something like that. And well, if ever it depends on them. Like if Liverpool lose to Leipzig, their confidence will be low. Allison's confidence is obviously already quite low, but they definitely will have a point to prove. They can kind of turn it around against Everton if they put in a good performance and beat them and do show it for their fans. Like, uh, and then another game, can't believe I forgot to mention this too. Uh, Arsenal City. Now, Arsenal are at home it's it's a less exciting game to be fair, but you you never really know with um with Arsenal they've they've they they might be feeling good about themselves, but this could be this could be another opportunity for City to really stamp their authority because they could be as much as ten points clear by the time this game comes around, and they could have the chance to extend that even if our United and Leicester drop points, George. Yeah, I feel like this one could get very ugly for Arsenal. With the form that uh, City are on, I, I just don't see them losing to a, a team like Arsenal. With the midfield they have, I feel like they're going to dominate possession. And it's it's I think it's a write-off for Arsenal at the moment. When everyone anyone who plays City at the moment, you're you're not expecting to go there and win, or even for them to come to your, your home in the Emirates and win. I think Gundogan, with the form he's in, he's playing as almost a striker and a midfielder at the same time. And Foden as well coming through. It's, it's going to be interesting actually to see Foden against Saka to prove who's the better, better youngster. But I, I, I don't see Man City losing. The defence has improved as well. And it's they're strong all over the pitch. While Arsenal, they're only really coming back into form. And even then have lost a load of games. Aston Villa, very disappointing. Wolves, even more disappointing to be honest. And I, I just don't see City losing. And we'll have uh, reviews of all those games, Champions League, Premier League, on next week's show. But that's going to do it for this week. Uh, George, Colin, thanks so much for coming on and talking sports with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, DCU FM Sport uh, are our Twitter and Instagram handles. I've been Sean Breslin. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>